I grew up on the other side of the lake. In my teen years, my family and I attended the Mesquite Church of Christ. I don't recall very many details about all the various sermons I heard while I was in my youth over there. I tried to pay attention, but sometimes all I could think about was how tired I was, how pretty that girl was, how embarrassed I was that my stomach was growling early in the morning. But there were moments when I had some spiritual thoughts, and I paid attention. And it was usually on the Sundays when Brother Roger Hatley would preach on the parable of the prodigal son. There was a time in my life when I thought back on that, and I thought, that's all he ever preached on. seemed like every week or so he was preaching on the parable of the prodigal son, And as a preacher, I know that there's no possible way he did that, but that's what I remembered. It left a deep and abiding impression on me. And to this day, when I think about that preacher or drive past that congregation or that church building, I remember this parable. And I remember that Jesus welcomes sinners and that he meets them at his table. Not a bad memory to have of your childhood church. I'm so thankful that that story was so central and foundational to my spiritual formation. This past week, I was rummaging through my sermon archives, and I was surprised to see that over the past 15 years or so, I have preached, taught, and written on this story And this scripture, more than any other story or scripture in my ministry. That doesn't mean that I'm an expert on this parable. And I mean that sincerely. I'm not an expert on this parable, not by a long shot. It simply means that I've gone back to revisit this family again and again and again. And I've gotten to know different members of this prodigal family over these many years in different ways. I'm still getting to know them. I'm still learning new things, still making new discoveries and cultivating new attitudes towards this family, toward my own family, towards you. Over the years, I've learned many compelling things about this parable, which I would love to share with you, but we can't do it all in one sermon. I'll simply say that Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, showed me that this story should be read from multiple points of view, from the fathers, from the elder brothers, the younger brothers, and even the servants' points of view. Henri Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal, is must-reading, and it showed me how to enter into the depths of this story personally, spiritually, and existentially. I recommend both of those books to you with faith and good conscience. Get them and make good use of them. But some of my favorite insights that I've learned over the years show how this parable tells the ancient story of Israel in the time of the judges. Or how it retells the story of Esau and Jacob or of Israel and the nations or of hyper-religious people and utterly wrecked people like us. It retells our story in a fresh, new way. 
These are the kinds of things where when I'm in my office, I'm totally geeking out, just thinking about it, having so much fun, trying to piece it all together. And you know how much I love reading the scriptures forwards and backwards and how I love to weave together the sacramental tapestry even in my sermons because I want you to see the beauty and the truth and the goodness of all of the scriptures. And as tempting as it is to do that today and to show you some of those really cool, heart-stirring, mind-blowing things, I resist the temptation and refuse to do it. But here's why. It's not that I'm trying to hide anything from you or keep anything from you. It's because I don't want to distract you from the task at hand. I don't want to enable you to avoid doing the hard things, and I don't want to allow you to hide behind some really cool biblical theological insight that gives you an excuse to disobey the gospel. I want you to enter into this story and struggle with it, to suffer with it, to give yourself to it. Like Don Henley of the Eagles, I'm trying to get down to the heart of the matter. My thoughts seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness. There is so much to forgive and there is so much to be forgiven. As I've reflected on this parable over the years, I've come to see how I've connected with different members of this prodigal family at different ages and stages of my own life. Perhaps some of you can relate. Maybe you've done the same kind of thing. For example, when I was younger, I connected with the younger son in some ways, mainly because, like the younger son, I went off to a faraway place in search of God knows what. As I got a little older, I connected with the older son in more ways. Like him, I was much better at hiding my sins while looking dutiful and devout. But I was also more arrogant and bitter and cynical towards some of our father's other children. Why? Because knowledge puffs up. But now, as a 50-plus-year-old husband and father of four young adult children, sons and daughters, and as a pastor for 30 years, I feel that I connect more with the father than ever before. So like him, my eyes never cease to look for my children My heart always longs for them. My prayers want all the best for them. <laughs> my, my sleep patterns even suffer because of them. <laughs> Why? Because love builds up. And love covers a multitude of sins. Now, all that to say, I want to speak to you today, not only as one of your pastors, 
I want to speak to you today as a father in the faith. Over the weekend, I sent out a note asking you all to read the story of the prodigal, to revisit the family, and to reflect on your place in this family and in this story. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you taste when you do that? Undoubtedly, for many of you, painful memories, long buried or forgotten resurfaced, ugly words echoing and reverberating in your heart once again, old wounds were reopened and you feel the sting of them even now, bitterness and gall bruise in the pit of your stomach, why? Because some of those hurts were caused by other people against you. And also because some of those hurts were caused by you against other people. By revisiting this dysfunctional, prodigal family, we're reminded of our experiences, and we're reminded that some of our experiences are too horrible, too terrible, and too painful to even put into words. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to deal with it again. And by reading between the lines, reading this story between the lines, we learn that this family actually suffered so much trauma. So many tears, so much tragedy, far more than just a surface reading of the parable lets on. There's so much happening between the father and the sons, and between the sons and the servants. So it's not only what Jesus explicitly says that matters to us, but it's also what Jesus implicitly says that matters to us. It's what he leaves to our imagination that shakes our hearts and stirs our souls. Let me show you what I mean by this. Some of you come from a family where emotions run hot. You know what it looks and feels like when someone leaves home in anger and in haste for selfish reasons. Perhaps it was a sibling, perhaps it was you, but somewhere at some point in your family has said to a parent or a sibling, either in words or deeds or both, I hate you, I wish you were dead, just leave me alone and let me live my life. Something broke and a door slammed. You've heard the arguing, the yelling, the cursing. You've seen the slamming, the fighting, and the breaking. You have felt the insults, the accusations, and the criticisms. And you have tasted anger and bitterness, disgust and fear. You have been hurt by others, and you have hurt others. You have witnessed the shock and the sorrow in the faces of loved ones in the aftermath of some big blow-up or fight. And you have carried that heavy baggage and that horrible burden for years and years and years in your life. 
You have seen broken hearts and tear-stained eyes and troubled lives. You have seen clenched fists and tightened jaws and bloodshot eyes. You have seen and felt pain. And you have caused some of it in your own life. There is so much to forgive and so much to be forgiven. Some of you come from a family where emotions run cold. You know what it looks and feels like when words are few and yet stiff and stern. When hugs and affection are few and far between and feel very awkward, forced. You felt left out. You felt overlooked. You've experienced estrangement and abandonment. Physically and emotionally. You've lived with a present yet distant father. A distracted mother, a disinterested brother, a disengaged sister. You felt resentment towards your mom and your dad for letting other siblings walk all over them, take advantage of them, even get away with murder. You felt like a stranger at home, an outsider looking in on your own family and on your own life, feeling unloved and unwanted and unnoticed, like there's no place for me in there. I'm better off out here. You've noticed that the squeaky wheel in your family gets the most grease, the most attention. And so you've written off the troublemaking family members. You've cut ties with parents. You've stopped communicating with siblings. You've withdrawn from your family to protect yourself and to punish them. There's so much to forgive and so much to be forgiven. And the point I'm trying to get across to you is that you've all said or done things to hurt others and to hurt yourself. And you've all said or done things that you regret. And you've all been hurt by others, by what they said or done. And you've all seen people you care about hurt in those same ways. We've all said or done things that we regret. We all resent things that others have said or done to us. Even if they have sought forgiveness, we still live with the memory of that pain and sorrow. Perhaps you were the wild and rebellious child who packed your things and went off to a faraway place in body and heart and at some point, you came to your senses and realized just how far you had gone and how far you had fallen and how long the journey home is going to be. Perhaps you're the dutiful child who stayed close to home, at least in body, even if your heart was far away. You felt cheated because you were not rewarded for being so good, for keeping the rules, for not bringing shame on mom and dad. There's a part of you that wants to stay outside and sulk in self-pity. 
But there's also a part of you that wants to come in and join the celebration. But you can't bring yourself to do it. You're not quite sure where you belong or what you should do. Perhaps you're like the father who gave all you had only to watch some of your children cast you aside, wish you were dead, and go away. You gave all you had only to watch other of your children criticize and complain about your stupid decisions and foolish actions. And the more your heart breaks, the more it opens up, the more love you have for your children. Whatever the case may be, it should be clear by now that there is so much to forgive and there is so much to be forgiven. But what does it mean to forgive? There are two words in the Greek New Testament for the word forgiveness. One means to cancel debts. The other means to set free both of those words for forgiveness are rooted and grounded in God's love and free grace. No strings attached. When the younger son returned home, his father ran out to meet him with love filling his eyes. And he canceled the debts of his younger son in love. When the older son raged against his father and reprimanded him for all of the unwise decisions he had made, the father went out to meet him and set him free in love. My son, everything I have is yours. I am yours. You are mine. The father loves both sons and he wants both of his sons to cast away their guilt and their grievances and their grudges. He wants both of his sons to come all the way home in joy and in peace, to experience his free grace, to cancel their debts against each other, to set each other free in love, to celebrate life and love not to commemorate death and destruction over and over again. He wants them to stop living in the past and begin living in the future. There's so much to forgive and so much to be forgiven. And one of my favorite stories of all time, a river runs through it, comes both as a beautiful novella and as a film. It's based on a true story, by the way. You find in this an artful retelling of the parable of the prodigal father and his prodigal sons. And each time I watch the movie or read the novella, my sympathies for the Reverend John McClain deepen more and more. He's raised his sons. He's reached the end of his life. And his son, Norman, recalls one of the last sermons that that old Presbyterian pastor gave not not long before his death. 
And this is what he preached with his family present, the congregation listening in. Each one of us here today will at one time in our lives look upon a loved one who is in need and we will ask the same question. We are willing to help, Lord. But what, if anything, is needed? It is true we can seldom help those closest to us. Either we don't know what part of ourselves to give, or more often than not, the part we have to give is not wanted. And so it is those we live with and those we should know who elude us most. But we can still love them. We can still love them. We can love completely without complete understanding. We can love completely without complete understanding. That's what it means to forgive others, to forgive one another, to be forgiven by someone else. So ask yourselves, who do I need to set free? Whose debts do I need to cancel? Who do I need to forgive today? Who do I need to love as myself? Who do I need to love as Christ loved me and gave himself up for me and forgave me? Are you holding anyone hostage in your heart? Are you secretly wishing for revenge against someone else? Are you withholding grace from someone for some reason? Are you nursing a grudge against someone? Are you comforting yourself with thoughts of their demise and destruction? Are you refusing to receive grace from anyone that has offered it to you? Will you ever forgive your sibling for the damage they caused your family, for the heartbreak they caused your parents? Will you ever forgive your son or daughter for the grief they caused you, for stealing your joy, robbing your peace of mind, taking years off your life, cutting short your retirement? Will you ever forgive yourself? Will you ever forgive yourself for all the stupid and foolish things that you said and did to hurt your family, to hurt your parents, to hurt your siblings, to hurt yourself? Will you ever forgive the Lord for letting you have it your way and live life on your terms for so long? There is so much to forgive and so much to be forgiven. Some of you fathers need to cancel the debts of your sons. Some of you sons need to set your fathers free. 
Some of you sisters need to forgive your brothers. Some of you brothers need to forgive your sisters. Some of you mothers need to set free your daughters. Some of you daughters need to cancel the debts of your mothers. Friends need to forgive friends. Frenemies need to forgive frenemies. And what does it mean to do these things? What does it mean to forgive, to cancel debts, to set free? It means to love others enough to show them the free grace of Christ. It means to cut them loose, to stop holding them hostage, to stop keeping records of their wrongs. There is so much to forgive and so much to be forgiven. But if you're holding out and waiting on others to apologize to you for all the hurt and the wrong they've done to you, if you're waiting until justice is done and they get exactly what they deserve, if you're waiting until you have punished them enough and you have made your point long enough before you show them love and give them mercy, then I have news for you. You are the one. You are the one who needs forgiveness. You are the one who needs to be forgiven because Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. And whoever loves much has been forgiven much. And by withholding forgiveness, you're simply testifying against yourself that you lack love. You're testifying against yourself that you've not yet received forgiveness. As long as you're willing to hold them hostage... As long as you're unwilling to forgive others, you're simply making payments on their uncanceled debts. As long as you're willing to keep records and unwilling to set others free, you're wearing their chains and suffering behind the bars in your own self-made cage. So do what the Lord Jesus says. Forgive others. And you will be forgiven. Cancel their debts and your debts will be canceled. Set others free and you will be free. As we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted or in bondage to us, so our Father in heaven will forgive us. If you don't want your Father to forgive you, keep those records. Keep people hostage in your heart. And show the Lord what you really think about grace. Now all of this requires us to cultivate a spirit and a posture of forgiveness. Whether someone deserves it or not. And whether someone desires it or not. Because if you think that someone can only be forgiven when they deserve it, you don't understand forgiveness. If someone deserves forgiveness, it's simply an earned wage, not a free gift, something we owe them. But by definition, forgiveness is unmerited favor, a totally free gift that is unearned. 
It's given out of pure love. So this requires us to become like our brother Jesus, but also to behave like our Father in heaven. Remember why Jesus told this parable. He told this parable because some critics complained that he welcomed sinners and that he ate and drank with people like us. The parable shows us the good news of forgiveness in a graphic, picturesque way without ever using the word forgiveness. It shows us that Jesus is the true younger son who was sent by his father into the faraway country with all of the father's blessings. And that when he came into our world, he spent everything he had on the lowest, the filthiest, the meanest prodigal sons and daughters that he could find. That he set aside his royal garments and sacrificed himself to serve and to save people just like us. That he entered the muck and mire of our sin and our misery and he shows us the way back home. And by paying the price of our debts on the cross, he canceled every one of them so that we come home with a clean slate, debt-free, liberated by the Lord Jesus. The good news of forgiveness shows us that Jesus is also the true elder brother who saw us coming home from a long way off. And he ran out to meet us and he embraced us and fell on our neck and kissed us. And together we wept for joy because it all seems so good to be true. It seems like this can't actually be happening. Because it's not what we expected. It's not what we deserved. But he's doing the Father's delight. And because of all that Jesus has done for us, the Father now embraces us and kisses us and clothes us and restores us to our liberty and dignity as his beloved children. And he spreads a table for us and calls on his servants to throw a party and a banquet. And he invites our brothers and sisters to come eat and drink together with him. Why? Because there was a death and life has overcome death. And because someone was lost and now they've been found and restoration and reconciliation have taken place according to the free grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ. There is so much to forgive and there is so much to be forgiven. But what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for today? is the day to cancel debts and to set free, to forgive as you've been forgiven in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray, and you are willing to give more than we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy. Forgive us those things that plague our consciences 
the debts that we're afraid to cancel, the chains that we're afraid to cast off, and give us those good things which we are not worthy to ask except through the merits and the mediation of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.